For quite some time, we have been working unit by unit through the Gospel of John. Lately, uh, we've been looking at the death of Jesus Christ, and last week we saw how he was placed into the tomb on Friday afternoon. We now will jump a little bit in history a couple of days and find out what happened on Easter Sunday morning as told in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. If you want to follow in your pew Bibles, that's found on page 1077. Otherwise, the entirety of the text is on the screen behind me. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle John writes, Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as I mentioned, and for many of you who were here, you will remember that last week we took a very difficult but necessary look at the reality of death. 
not just that reality that each one of us one day will have to face, unless, of course, Jesus returns before that time for any of us, but more specifically, the reality of the full and total death of Jesus Christ when he was killed on that cross and then placed into a tomb. And while it is hard to look at that reality, it is important because in the face of death, what we read for this morning is about the impossible happening. And that's the right word to describe what we just read. Under any other circumstances, I think any one of us would be justified in being very skeptical if we heard anybody claim that they knew of someone who came back from the dead. Not including maybe someone who temporarily was declared dead, but after a few moments was brought back to life and resuscitated through medical intervention. But someone who after three days was dead and acknowledged by the professionals, buried in the ground, that they had come back to life. And therefore, we should be sympathetic to those who struggle to believe that what we just read actually happened with Jesus. As the saying goes, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence to be believed. And yet, as extraordinary as the claim is that Jesus, who was killed on the cross, came back to life on the third day, it is an essential claim for the Christian. Because it is extraordinary, many people try to find ways to work around it. I mentioned one of them last week, the idea that Jesus never fully died, but just was hurt real bad and passed out for a while, and then was resuscitated and revived instead of resurrected. But there are many other beliefs that try to explain away the resurrection. Another one that has been growing in popularity is to say that the resurrection of Jesus wasn't an actual little, literal historical event. It was just a metaphorical event. That Jesus came back to life and was alive in the work and the mission that the disciples carried out as they loved others and, and supported them and pointed them toward God as Jesus had done. And there are those even that want to call themselves Christians that hold to that kind of an idea of the resurrection. But the scriptures themselves do not allow that kind of interpretation. In fact, Paul says very clearly in 1 Corinthians 15, first of all in verse 14, And if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Continuing on in verse 17 and 18 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If the resurrection of Jesus is not a historical, literal reality then we are completely wasting our time here. Everything that we do is, is totally unnecessarily and worthless because sin has not been conquered and our, all our destiny is eternal separation from God and death, so we might as well not waste our time coming here on Sunday mornings. So why would we believe the impossible? 
Well, today, we see how John tells us the account of the resurrection of Jesus and how the empty tomb was first discovered. And what we see in this story comes off as a genuine eyewitness account of the details, many of which are surprising and unexpected almost all of which we would guess that if they were just trying to invent this as a story, they would tell it completely different from the way that it actually is told. But before we get into all of that, let's remind ourselves first and foremost that this story doesn't come out of nowhere. While it should be obvious, it is important to remind us of the fact that Jesus' claim that Jesus came out of the tomb on Easter Sunday was the same Jesus that had done all of those other miracles that we have already heard about in the Gospel of John. He was the same Jesus that turned water into wine. He was the same Jesus that fed 5,000 with a few loaves of fish and I mean, loaves of bread and fish. He was the same Jesus that brought sight to the blind, that healed the paralytic, that had called Lazarus out of the grave. All of those incredible, impossible miracles were things that not only pointed to who Jesus was as the divine Son of God, but it also prepared us for this miraculous event on Easter Sunday. Or at least they should have. Because one of the truths of this passage, and one of the first things that points to the truth of this account, is that the fact that the resurrection was not an expected event by the disciples of Jesus. At least that's the way that John portrays it. If the disciples were going to go and, and present themselves as the authority, the reliable witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus, you would assume that they would paint themselves as those who understood and those who knew and expected this to happen. But that's not the picture that they paint of themselves. They instead tell them, they reveal that they too were among those that had to be persuaded. So as the story begins, we are told that it's the first day of the week. Early on Sunday morning before the sun has risen and Mary Magdalene, one of the followers of Jesus, goes to the tomb. And that's another detail that we can't just gloss over. We have to recognize that back then, the testimony of a female was seen as virtually invalid legally. That in order to approve something as having taken place, you would need the witnesses of two males. A female's word was not accepted as reliable. Which reveals a few things. First of all, if they were inventing a story, it would have been very unlikely that they would have had a female be the primary witness to these events. And furthermore, because it was a female... God was elevating the role and word of females above what was typical in the society of that day. But when Mary got to this tomb, going to probably finish the work of Jesus or at least to honor, uh, burying Jesus or at least to honor him, she saw that the large stone that had been placed in front of the tomb to seal it had been taken away. And right away she knows something's not right. Something is up. 
But there's a whole lot of different reasons why the tomb might be open. And the very last of which would probably be because the body that had been placed in there was raised from the dead. And she comes up with one that seems to make much more sense. When she runs to get the disciples, Peter, and again, the unnamed John, she's convinced that someone has stolen the body of Jesus. And so, that's the report that she initially gives. She says to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. Seems like her working theory is that among all of the injustices that Jesus had suffered in all of the things that the religious leaders and the political leaders had done to make sure that they got rid of this threat, now there is another scandal involved. And they weren't satisfied to allow this awful man to be buried in a tomb like, as we mentioned last week, a king with all of the spices in this new unused tomb of a rich person. That they were going to take his body and, and do something else to it, to desecrate it or get rid of it. And because of this scandal, Peter and John run off themselves to go and see what was going on and to try to make sense of this new injustice. And when they get to the tomb, they see the scene. The stone is gone. And they go in, first Peter and then John, and they recognize that the body is not there. But that's not all that they find. They find that what remains are the linen cloths that the body of Jesus had been wrapped in. And furthermore, the head cloth, the face cloth that would have been on Jesus' head had been folded and placed in a different place which betrays their initial assessment of what had taken place. You would assume that if they were going to take the body of Jesus, they would have just grabbed all of who he was. They'd just taken the cloth with him, and there would just have been an empty tomb. But it's not completely empty. And the linen cloths that are there and the folded face cloth suggest that this wasn't a chaotic scene of someone stealing a body that something else more intentional had been taken place. Because of this, we're told in verse 8 that John saw and believed. Now, that can be a hard text to interpret because the question is, well, what did he believe? And the main options are, well, he believed Mary that something had happened, that the body of Jesus had been taken, or he believed that Jesus was alive. And against that second interpretation is the very next statement that says, as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. But in all other cases of believing in John, it seems like a genuine act of faith. And so the best we can understand is that John was starting to recognize that something miraculous had taken place. And while he may not yet have fully understand what had all occurred or accepted it, he believed that a miracle had occurred. Regardless, both Peter and John go back to their homes, but Mary remains outside of the tomb. And she continues to weep. And after weeping for a bit outside of the tomb, finally she decides to go and take a good look for herself. And now, not only does she find the evidence of the linen cloths, but 
there are two angels sitting there where the body of Jesus had been. They sit like two empty, they, they sit like two bookends to an empty space between them, highlighting that nothing is there. And they ask her, woman, why are you weeping? Knowing that this truly wasn't a moment for mourning, but a, a moment to celebrate if she understood what was going on. But even with the angels there, Mary still is holding fast to her initial, more understandable, original theory that Jesus' body had been taken. And so that's the answer she gives to their question. But then very quickly, her attention is taken off of the angels standing before her to a person standing beside her. Now, Mary knows that this is not another angel, but she doesn't yet realize that this is the resurrected Jesus. Now, why that is that she doesn't recognize him, many have theorized in all different kinds of way. It could have just simply been that it was impossible to believe that someone who had died, that she had known had died, was alive and moving around. It could have been that uh, she was too clouded by the tears in her eyes to recognize Jesus. It could have been that Jesus was very unrecognizable from the person he had been just a few hours before dying on that cross or even a little bit less recognizable to the person he was who walked among them in his life. In any which way, for whatever reason, initially, as she reports from her memory and her experience, her impression was that this was likely the gardener in the, in the graveyard. And Jesus then also asks her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And thinking that it was the gardener, she asks if he might have been the one that moved the body of Jesus. Maybe it wasn't the nefarious acts of the religious leaders to, to get Jesus. Maybe he just had to move Jesus temporarily. And so she says, where have you put him and I can get him and take care of his body. And then in the last few verses of our text, some incredible and important things happen that I want to highlight and slow down a little bit with. First of all, Jesus simply says her name. Mary. And in that moment, she finally sees Jesus for who he is. And is an outplaying of the claim that Jesus had made earlier in John chapter 10 verses 3 and 4 when he says, To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. As soon as Mary heard her name proclaimed by Jesus, she recognized the voice of her shepherd and she knew who it was. And what is more, John also seems to be introducing a theme that will get developed in our next scene in this chapter where there is some testimony given to the validity of hearing over seeing. That we will never have the opportunity in this life to see the resurrected Jesus, but he will say that we are blessed when we hear of Jesus and yet believe. 
Well, as soon as Mary does recognize this as Jesus, she responds with her own Rabboni, teacher, and she goes to grab hold of him. But then Jesus does something that well, seems very odd. And he asks her not to cling to him because he has not yet ascended to the Father. Which is another very difficult part of this text. It's hard because it sounds like Jesus is suggesting that something has to change yet in his physical state. That she's not able to hold on to him until something more happens with his resurrected physical form. But that doesn't really seem to fit with the evidence where in just a few hours from this event, Jesus will ask one of his disciples and invite one of his disciples to come and touch and see in a way that, it, and it happens before he clearly and obviously ascends to heaven. And so most who look at this text don't see that this is a comment about Jesus's physical state as much as it is a theological statement. Like Peter, who wanted to build shelters on the Mount of Transfiguration to capture this particular moment, the suggestion is that Mary wanted to hold on to Jesus in this moment and keep him for herself. But Jesus is saying, there's more to come. More that had to happen and will continue to happen. This is not a moment that Mary can just hold on to for herself. And that's where we see the next thing taking place. Instead of clinging to Jesus for herself as the resurrected Savior, Jesus tells Mary to go. To not stay here with him, but to go and to share this news. To go and tell the disciples what had taken place. And then there's another interesting detail in there. When Jesus sends Mary, he uses some new language. He says, go to my brothers and say to them, I am sending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And this is new language for Jesus. Earlier in John chapter 15, verse 15, Jesus had said, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And while they had moved in their relationship from servants to friends, now after the resurrection, Jesus takes that relationship even deeper and he says, you are my brothers. And he refers to God not just as his father, but as your, their father as well. Which points to the incredible truth that after the resurrection of Jesus, because of his conquering death and coming out of that grave, the relationship that all sinners now have to the Father has completely been changed. No longer is Mary, are the disciples, are we, estranged and removed in our relationship with God, objects of his wrath and judgment. Instead, we are his children heirs of the Father, co-heirs with Christ. What a blessing that is. Now, in that moment, Mary could have froze. In that moment, Mary could have said, well, I believe, and that's good enough. I know that Jesus came out of the tomb. 
She could have been concerned and said, well, there's no way that the disciples are going to actually believe what I saw just by taking my word for it. But she doesn't. She goes. And what she does is tell the disciples what she experienced, saying, I have seen the Lord. Without embellishment or worry, Mary went and shared the good news of the resurrected Christ, news too good to keep to herself, news that needed to be shared. And that's where we go back to the original concern. In a world full of people where they look at the impossible and they say, do you actually believe that a dead man came back to life? Many of us in that moment freeze. We get concerned and we say, well, how are they ever going to believe me? What if they ask questions that I don't have the answers to or am unable to communicate? And what we find in John is not a concern about all of those things. But what we find is just a straightforward eyewitness account of the things that they experienced, as unbelievable as they may have been. And in experiencing that, they go and they share that news with others. And that was the good news. That death had not won. That Jesus was risen from the grave and he had called Mary by name. She knew it was him. And because of that, she now has a whole new relationship with God. And then she takes and goes and tells the disciples who believe. And then tell others who tell others who told you and who told me. And in hearing the question is, do you believe? Do you really believe that the dead came back to life? Obviously, I hope you do. Taking the words of those who were there and saw it firsthand, who themselves had to be convinced of the reality, who didn't add details or embellish the story or invent things that they didn't experience. We would love to know what was it like when Jesus came back to life. But they didn't experience it, so they don't tell that. And again, I think that sets a model for us. Because the encouragement is that we don't just take that good news and accept it for ourselves and sit on it and hold on to it. But the command is go and tell others. And in that concern, we get frozen sometimes. And we say, they'll never believe me. They'll ask questions I don't have answers to. So what do we do? We give a straightforward and honest expression of our experience. How do you know that Jesus is alive? What have you seen in your life and experienced in your uh, walk with him that lets you know that Jesus came out of that tomb and that he does make a difference in your life? That's the story that we tell. And we point them to the story that we have heard from others. And in telling that story, we share the good news that because Jesus came out of the tomb, death no longer needs to be feared. But all of the consequences of sin has been defeated through his sacrifice. And now we can know that one day we too will be resurrected with him. So the encouragement is not only to believe, 
but to go and share that good news with others. To not hold on to it ourselves, but make sure that all we interact with are aware of the true hope that we have because that tomb was empty. Toward that end, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, the reality of that tomb being empty is in many ways unbelievable. You did what was miraculous. And yet that's who you are and what you have always done. From the beginning when you spoke all things into existence and through your presence on this earth, when you did miraculous things that were otherwise impossible, you are a God who works and acts. We thank you for acting in response to our sin. When we were stuck in a situation where there was nothing we could do to correct our broken relationship, you sent your son who not only died, but proved himself victorious over the consequences of sin by coming back to life. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for that hope. Thank you for calling us all by name and identifying us as your brothers and sisters and as your children. May we not only celebrate and praise you for that hope, but I pray that we would go and share that hope with others. That we would not be content in our own understanding, but we would go and tell others of the fact that the empty tomb is where we find our hope. And because the tomb is empty, they too can find the promise of eternal life in you when they look to you as their Lord and Savior as well. May we share that news with others. All this we pray in the name of the risen Jesus Christ. Amen.